And thank you all for being here today. As I mentioned earlier today, we are finishing up a four-part series called Relationship Repair. And if you happen to miss any of these messages along the way, you can catch up on our website, hopeccdelco.com. Uh, you can listen to the podcast. You can watch the videos. If you listen to the podcast, you can listen in fast motion, just boop, boop, times two, and there you go. Get the message done in half the time. Isn't that nice? That's my little hack. That's what I do when I'm listening to messages. Um, but all that content is there for you. And so we've been making our way through the series talking about relationships because here's the thing. In our culture, we're okay at starting relationships. In fact, some of you are pretty good at starting new relationships. Damage. You know, us human beings, we are quick to just write people off. Well, this person hurt my feelings, so I'm going to end that relationship. Or this said, person said something that I don't like, so I'm going to end that relationship. Or this person posted something on social media that I disagree with, so I'm going to sever that relationship. We're so quick to sever these relationships, and we haven't been taught how to repair them when there's been an offense, where there's been a hurt, where there's been a wrongdoing. We just don't do this. But here's the thing. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have been given orders. We have been told that we are to be about this work, the ministry of reconciliation. It's our job, and so I guess we got to figure out how to do this thing, right? It doesn't come naturally to us. If we just operate based on instinct, we want to cut people out of our lives. Boom, 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 boom. And so we have to work intentionally to pursue reconciliation. In part one of this series, we talked about the importance of forgiveness. And again, if you spend enough time in a church setting, you're going to hear about how important it is to forgive. But forgiveness is that first step on the road to reconciliation. It's the first step on that road to reconciliation, but it's not, it's not the last step. So we go beyond just heart-level forgiveness. In a week two, we talked about the importance of taking an initiative. Beyond just forgiving a person internally in your heart to go and actually reach out to that person who wronged you, who hurt you. And that's so, again, counterintuitive because here we are. We're the ones that have been hurt. We're the ones working on this forgiveness thing, and we're doing all this tough work, and we're being intentional about forgiving and all this, and we feel like that other person who wronged us should reach out to us, and yet we have to choose to be the bigger person and take the initiative and reach out to those who have hurt us in order to create possibility for reconciliation. And then last week was kind of the twist in the message series. Last week we talked about the fact that you, on your own, cannot force reconciliation. You can't rec create reconciliation on your own, right? If there's a situation, if there's some big, been some kind of conflict, some kind of falling out between you and another person, you can't force that other person to reconcile that broken relationship. What you can do is create room for the possibility of reconciliation because it takes two to pursue reconciliation, right? It takes two to pursue reconciliation. And so we're in those situations when we're thinking about, okay, well, here's someone who's wronged me. I've got to reach out to this person. I'm going to take that initiative. What we have to do is have a realistic goal in mind, we can't force reconciliation, but we can create room for the possibility of reconciliation. And so what we need to do is have the goal of no regrets. I'm going to say what I need to say. I'm going to do what I need to do, and I'm going to ignore the crying child. Are we hearing that? Is everybody, everybody's got that same face like, I'm trying not to listen to this. It's okay. It happens. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to say what I can say, and that's it. I want to make sure that I walk away from the situation with no regrets. I've said what I can say. I've done what I can do, and that's, and that's it. I'm going to create room for the possibility of reconciliation, and that's all that I can do. And so we've talked about that. We're going to move on to the last part 
in this message series. And as we finish up the series, I want to get back to the specifics of taking initiative and what it looks like to take initiative, what it sounds like to actually take the initiative with someone who has hurt you, with someone, with someone who has wronged you. Um, as we um, start out this message today, I need to tell you something about myself. And um, listen, I don't want to brag, but um, the thing is I've got this ability, and I feel like I need to share it with you. I have what feels a lot like a, um, well, it's a superpower. See, here's something I can do. When I am in conflict with someone, when I'm in a fight or where there's been like some kind of falling out or whatnot, I have this, it's really remarkable, this remarkable ability to identify exactly what the other person did that was wrong. I can do it. And because I'm like a pastor, I can even quote Scripture and say, well, here's all the things you do that defied Scripture. You know, what I, you know what I mean? It's remarkable. It's like, it's really something special, guys. I can say, here's what you did wrong, and you shouldn't have said this, and you shouldn't have responded this way, and here's where you're breaking the Word of God. Boom. I can just, I can see so clearly with such accuracy. You guys impressed? At the same time, I also have this, this a remarkable ability to look clear past what I've done that's wrong, right? To turn a blind eye entirely to what I may have done wrong or said that is wrong. You guys don't look that impressed. Maybe it's because you possess that superpower as well. Don't we all? When we're in some kind of conflict where we feel like we've been wronged or someone has done something to us, someone has done something to put us down or offend us or hurt us, don't we have the ability to say, look at all the things that you did that were wrong? And those of us who are Christians, you could say, well, you're breaking the word of God and you've done these things that are wrong. We have that ability. We could create a list. We could sit and, and write it down. Here's all the stuff that that other person did that was wrong. But to identify what we've done wrong or what we've said wrong, see that, that's not as easy, is it? That requires some work. You know, when you're on the outside of a conflict looking in, when you see two people and they fought over something, you know it's true what they say, that there's two sides to every story, at least two, right? There's at least two sides to every story, and when you're objective, an objective third party, you can say, okay, well, all right, maybe 90% of the fault is on this person, but this person over here, they shouldn't have said that and they shouldn't have done that, right? There's two sides to every story, but when we're in the conflict, it's so easy for us to look past what we have done that's wrong just highlight and emphasize and be able to list with the other party what they have done that is wrong. When you think about this um, so often, and we do this, and it's not, not intentional, we just kind of automatically by instinct do this. Sometimes when we take the initiative and reach out to the other person, sometimes we botch the whole thing. Because what we do is we make our goal to convince that other person of how wrong they were. That's what we do. You know, I'm going to meet with you, okay, you know, pastor said to take the initiative, and I believe that's what we, Jesus would want me to do, so I'm going to take that initiative, and I'm going to sit down with that other person, I'm going to list all the things that they did wrong. Sometimes we make that, we make that our goal. Again, without intentionality, we just do it. We want to convince the other person that what they did is wrong. That's my goal. I want to convince this other person what they did is wrong. Here's the thing. If that's your goal, you probably won't succeed, all right? Looking back in my life of over the times that I've made that my goal in the past, again, without intentionality, when I've made that my goal in the past, I have never once succeeded. Let me convince you of all the things that you did. I've never succeeded. But even if you do, 
Even if you reach your goal and say, okay, I've listed all the things that you did wrong, and I got you to admit all those things that were wrong, and I've convinced you, I've successfully convinced you that you were wrong. Now what? Does that create reconciliation? Is that the same as fixing a broken relationship? Is that the same as, as, as restoration? No. See, even if you win at that goal, you lose. So let's change our goal. Let's think about this from a different angle. Take a look at that passage that's in your bulletin from Romans. Find my bulletin here. And this was written by Paul. And so Paul is writing to this group of Christian people. And this church that started in Rome, Paul did not start this church. Um, when we read the New Testament, we read all these letters. These are letters that Paul is writing back to churches that he started. But not in this case, not with Rome. And so a group of people somehow heard about Jesus, heard about the gospel. They become this church. And Paul is writing them, writing to them, explaining how they are to be a church, how they are to live with one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 16 begins with, live in harmony with one another. Again, Paul is writing to a group of Christians, and so we can take this to mean, okay, Christian people, those of you who are believers, whether you're new at believing, right, or whether you're very, quote, mature in your Christianity, either way, you Christian people ought to live in harmony with one another. And that's a completely acceptable way to interpret that. But I don't believe that Paul is exclusively talking about Christians. I mean, live in harmony with everybody. Live in harmony with one another. Isn't that an easy thing to teach and a ridiculous thing to try and live out? Live in harmony with one another? Friends, conflict is a part of life, right? Like the youngest person in this room has experienced conflict and the lack of harmony with other people. How are you, how are you supposed to live in harmony with other human beings? I mean, have you met human beings and how selfish we can be? And how hurtful we can be. And we're supposed to live in harmony with one another. How? Well, fortunately, as we go on, Paul starts to explain that. Here's something that we Christians do when we read our Bibles, right? Sometimes we take ideas and we separate them when they're supposed to be united. Because it says, live in harmony with one another. And then it says, do not be proud. And sometimes we're like, well, let live in harmony with one another. That's one teaching over here. Do not be proud. That's a separate teaching. Guess what? I don't think it is. I think these things are connected. Live in harmony with one another. How? Well, don't be proud. Pride is the thing that gets in the way of our harmony. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Okay, you've said don't be proud. You've said don't conceited. These are very similar words. You're really emphasizing this point. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. Live in harmony with one another. Be willing to associate with people in low position. Again, if you think about the context, and you had this sort of a class system in the Roman culture where people who had wealth were better than the people who didn't. But I tell you what, I've seen this type of pride and this type of being conceited played out in church culture. Maybe you have too. Where you get your people, your Christians who, who really know the Bible well, who look down on the people who have never picked it up. Have you experienced that? Is it just me? Right? That type of looking down on somebody else because of their low position. Paul says, don't, no, 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 no. Live in harmony. Don't be proud. Don't look down on people. Don't be conceited. And he continues, do not repay anyone evil for evil, right? Because again, 
That's what we want to do. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back, and that achieves balance, right? No. That flies right in the face of what Jesus said. Jesus never said, you know what, I want you to go out there and treat people the way they have treated you. No, if we did that, man, society would collapse, right? Where would it stop? Somebody hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back. Somebody hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back. And it's just a whole bunch of hurt people hurting other people. Now, Jesus says, treat other people the way that you would want to be treated. Do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. Don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Don't give your permission to slack around a certain group of people while I can lower my guard. And then verse 18, if it is possible, here's what I want to do with this sentence here. Take a look at this. If it is possible, and then there's this parenthetical statement. Let's just subtract that for a moment. Because what Paul is saying is that this is not always going to be possible. He says, if it is possible, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, live at peace with everyone. And let's put that parenthetical statement back in there. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Because as we talked about last week, you can't control how other people respond to you. If you're going to take the initiative, if you're going to reach out, if you're going to do you can't. You can do all this stuff for yourself, but you can't control what happens outside. You can control, goodness gracious, parents, don't we teach our kids this? You can control how you treat other people, but you can't control how they treat you. It's not a new teaching. You know this. You can control how you treat other people, but you can't control how they treat you. And so let's, let's fix our goal here. If we're going to take that initiative, what do we do? We say, let me try to control you. Let me try to get you to see how you were wrong, to convince you how you were wrong, and to confess how wrong you were. No. As far as it depends on you, make sure you've done what you can to own what you've done that's wrong. To not look past what you've done that's wrong. You know, um, as, a, as a pastor, I do some counseling, so I am not a counselor. I'm not. I'm a pastor that does counseling. And those are two different things, and if you've ever seen me for counseling, you know the difference, all right? They're two different things. I took a grand total of one counseling course along the way, and if you go to a pastor for counseling, uh, we tend to be a lot more um, task-oriented or goal, I should say goal-oriented. What's the problem? And let's find a path for a solution, Right? And so, so often when people come to me for some kind of a counseling, I mean, nine times out of ten, people reach out and ask for counseling because there's been some kind of a relational conflict, some kind of a falling out, somebody's hurt. And I'm looking around this room right now, and some of you have come to me with situations like this where you say, this person hurt me, this person wronged me. I've had situations where parents have come to me saying, my child has done this to me. This is how I've been hurt by my child. This is how I've been wronged by my child. I've had adult children meet with me and say, this is how I was wronged by my parents. Or this is how I was wronged by my siblings. This is how I was wronged by my coworkers. This is how I was wronged by my good friend. This is how I was wronged by a fellow church member. And when you come to me with those issues, I want to understand. I want to hear just how you were wronged. I want to understand to the best of my ability how that hurt you. But here's the thing. In those situations, that other person who wronged you, here's what I could do. I could just join you in vilifying that person. 
I could just sit with you and affirm, yep, they were wrong, they were wrong, they were wrong, they were wrong. That's a bad person. You're a good person. Let's pray. We could do that. But what good is that? And so what happens is that that other person who wronged you, when you meet with me for counseling over a relationship thing, that other person, I'm giving away my secrets here, right? I'm giving away all my counseling secrets. That other person who wronged you, they're not in the room. But you are. And so I'm going to talk to you about what you can do as far as it depends on you. And so what I'll often do in these situations, after I've done my best to hear and understand how you've been hurt, what I often do, some of you have seen this live and in person, is I take out my trusty little notebook, right? Some of you are smiling already because you've seen this. And I draw this. You know what that is? Looks like a circle, doesn't it? This, what is it? Oh, it's a pie chart, right? This, my friend, is a pie chart, not just any pie chart. This is the blame pie. So we'll draw a circle, and then I'll ask you that tough question. You know that person who wronged you? How did you wrong them? Let's find your slice. Let's find your share of the blame pie. And maybe in a situation where you've been so seriously wronged, so severely hurt by someone, it feels like, in the moment, it feels like 100% of the blame is on that person. It feels that way. But if you take your focus off of what that person did that was wrong and look inward, well, what did you do? Was there something you said that you should not have said? Was there something you should have said that you didn't say? Was there something you did in this situation that you should not have done? Was there something you should have done that you refrained from doing? Where's your share of the blame pie? Maybe it's 5%. Maybe 95 is theirs, but 5% is yours. Okay, what do you have the power to do? You can own your share of the blame pie. So here's what it looks like to take initiative. You own your share... You approach that person, the person who hurt you, and you say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And then you list the ways that you were wrong. You don't create them. You don't make them up. No, no, no. You identify, is there anything you did that you should not have done? Is there anything you said that you should not have said? Did you raise your voice when you shouldn't have? Anything. All right. As far as it depends on me, I'm going to own my share of this pie, and I'm going to meet with this person who wronged me, and I'm going to say, I'm sorry. The most difficult thing to say, the most difficult thing to say is, I'm sorry. The second most difficult thing to say is, I was wrong. And of course, the third most difficult thing to say is Worcestershire sauce. Worcester, Worcestershire, I'm getting further away from it. It doesn't matter. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to focus on those first two. The most difficult thing to say, I'm sorry. Especially, especially when you're looking at that pie chart and it's like, I got 1% here. 99% is their fault. To take, to take, ownership of that one percent and say i'm sorry i was wrong to do this you know how tough that is goodness gracious 
I'm not sharing anything new with you. It was all in the Bible, right in front of us all along, as far as it depends on us. And yes, instinctively and naturally, we can create that list of everything that that other person did wrong, but let's look inwardly and say, okay, I'm going to take responsibility for my share. I'm going to say, I'm sorry, and I'm going to tell you from my perspective how I was wrong. What stops us from doing this? Pride. Pride. You know, pride. I'll tell you the situation I had. Last church, okay? Last church I was a part of. I got a phone call from a very angry church member. Angry about a decision I made. And, uh, you know, rationally I could assess the situation and say, this is like 98% communication failure. That's what's going on here. But this person was angry. And this person um, yelled at me. Did you ever yell at your pastor? Why do people like yelling at their pastors? They yelled at me over the phone. Goodness gracious. Anybody like being yelled at? No? I'm like, I'm an adult person. You're a member of our church and you're yelling at me? I really don't like being yelled at. Now, I'm not a violent person. But when I get yelled at, something clicks, right? And I can tell you, I mean... Let's just keep this between us. I can tell you how I felt on the inside. I wanted to hang up that phone, drive that person's house, kick down the door, and knock them in the next week, right? Something violent got stirred inside of me. You're going to leave me out to dry on this one? Aren't you the same way? Did you ever have that instinct? Thank you for nodding your heads. I'm not alone in this. And so that's exactly what I did. No, I'm just, that's not what I did. That's not, that's not what I did. But I'm a Christian, and I'm a pastor, and I know all these things, and I know what I'm supposed to do. And so, again, I hung up the phone, all right, I let that fantasy play out, realized that was wrong, and I got to work. And I realized that what this guy is going through has so little to do with me. And what this guy is going through, he just took it out on me. And so, I wrote my own little pie chart. Here's what I did in this situation that was wrong. And so I reached out to this guy, this guy who was crazy rude to me and disrespectful and raised his voice. I reached out to him, and I had a meeting with this guy. And I sat face-to-face -face with this guy across the table. And you know what I said to this guy who yelled at me? I said, I'm sorry. Here's how I was wrong. You know how that felt? Awful. I'm going to be honest with you. It felt awful. You know why it felt awful? Because it hurt my pride. And if I didn't have pride in the first place, I could say that freely, but it hurt my pride. I'm like, this guy, he owes me an apology, and he should be crying right now, and he should be begging for my forgiveness, and I'm apologizing to him. It hurt my pride to apologize, but I did it anyway. And now I can look back on this situation and have no regrets. Because as far as it depended on me, I owned my share, I apologized, I listed what I saw as my sins against him, and that's all I could do to live in harmony with him, to live at peace with him. I have no regrets now. I have no regrets. Pride. Pride's that thing that gets in the way. Pride that thing that gets in the way, especially when we feel like we're the ones that have been hurt, especially when 99% of the blame is on the other person. Pride is what gets in our way. So I want you to think. I want you to think about that person 
that you're in conflict with right now. And maybe it was one conversation. Maybe it was one incident that took place. Or maybe it was just a situation that spread out over months or maybe even years. But it led to a broken relationship. So think about that person who wronged you. Think about those people who have wronged you. And ask yourself the question, how have you wronged the people that have wronged you? That's the tough thing. How have you wronged the people that have wronged you? In that conflict, in that situation, what did you do that was wrong? In that conflict, in that situation, what is it that you regret? If you could go back, I wish I hadn't said this, or I wish I had said that. I wish I had not have done that, but I wish I did do this. What is it that you regret in that situation? And you go and you take the initiative and you meet with that person. And you say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And you let it hurt your pride. You let it just ache in your pride until that pride just dies. If we, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, if we want to create room for the possibility of reconciliation, then we have to forgive. And we have to be willing to take the initiative. And we have to be willing to sit down and take responsibility for our share of the blame pie. And if we want to create room for the possibility of reconciliation, then we need to forsake our pride. We reach out. And we say, I'm sorry. And we say, I was wrong. And we have to do all these things. Because we, those of us who are Christians, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father God, you know all things, and you know each one of us, and you know what's in our hearts, and you know where we have struggled to forgive, and you know where we have been hurt, and you know in great detail just, just how wrong it was. You know, what that other person did, you know how wrong it was. Father God, what we're looking for here is, is not, not to get even. We're not looking for revenge. We're not looking to make things equal. We're looking for healing. We're seeking after healing. And we believe that you've called us to this ministry of reconciliation, so we want to be able to do this, God. And so in those situations, God, where we've been wronged, help us to ask those tough questions of ourselves. Help us to identify what it is that, that we have done wrong, where we have failed. Just eliminate that pride within our hearts. Just eliminate that, God, so that we can do what you've called us to do, so that we can live in harmony with one another. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.